Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out, or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things, you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers. These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated, and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by Collective Action Strategies, supporting organizations that support women and families, and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz, your resource for living your best life. If you're in burnout or major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need to make in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The cause of all of our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and or external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life Cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly live your best life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication, and for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Hello, hello, well women. How are you? If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're returning, um, then welcome back. It's good to be with you. We just had our fourth annual superpower retreat and, um, in amazing New Mexico with fabulous speakers, just truly powerful and amazing. And we are, um, we also just had the first women's leadership summit, Uh, which I co-hosted and co-presented with our local business journal in New Mexico, the Albuquerque Business First. Um, So that was super exciting. And today on the show, I'm going to interview one of the keynote speakers from the Women's Leadership Summit. So um, I want to give you a few stats, though, just to prepare you for this interview. And those are uh, very interesting. Um, to consider when, when we think about women in leadership. 
while women are half the population and earn about half of all law and medical degrees and represent half of the college-educated workforce, according to the Pew Research Center Data on Women Leaders, the share of female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies topped just 5% for the first time in the first quarter of 2017, with 27 women heading heading major firms. That's 27 women, not 27%. As recently as 1995, there were no female CEOs on the Fortune 500 list. The share of women sitting on the boards of Fortune 500 companies is also low, though it has more than doubled from 9.6% in 1995 to 20.2% in 2016. And according to the Center for American Progress, as recently as 2016, 43% of the 150 highest earning public companies in Silicon Valley had no female executive officers at all. And we know that women in U.S. in top U.S. political roles and academic leadership are also lagging with numbers well under what would be considered equal representation. In order to understand the challenges women leaders face and provide tools and resources to grow female leadership, Well Woman Life co-presented the first Women's Leadership Summit with Albuquerque Business First earlier this week. On the show today, I interview one of the keynote speakers at the summit, the new CEO of Christus St. Vincent, Lillian Montoya. Montoya is the first female in the position. We talk about her leadership style, her confidence, and her vision while getting to know her personally during the Superpowers for Success segment. Lillian Montoya is a seasoned operations professional with extensive leadership experience spanning 25 plus years in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors, consistently orchestrating sustained advantages in the face of uncertainty and resistance. She's the new president and CEO of Christus St. Vincent, a Santa Fe-based not-for-profit healthcare system serving more than 300,000 people in seven counties, employing more than 2,200 physicians and assistants and nearly $400 million in annual revenue. You can find out more information about this show and all the links that we mention at wellwomanlife.com slash 133 show. You can also continue the conversation in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico and High Desert Yoga in Albuquerque. Now to my interview with Lillian Montoya. I'm speaking with Lillian Montoya, and I'm at Christus St. Vincent with her. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So Lillian, you actually have worked here um, for a number of years, and then, but you've recently been named the new CEO. That's correct. I was, I've been on the team now for about five years, was on the board prior to that for about three, and I've been now the CEO for about three months. Okay, three months, so you're still getting used to it. I mean, that's really not that long. No, it isn't, and, um, but at the same time, since I've been in the organization as long as I have, it, it's not unfamiliar to me what, um, what a great opportunity and a great honor it is to take on this responsibility. Okay, so let's talk about that. What is the opportunity, and what are you excited about? 
So a big part of what we have been focusing on for the last five years, in addition to improving clinical quality and creating a great patient experience, is to create a workplace environment that allows our people to do their very best work. So we have focused on all those tools and resources that allow your associates, and we have 2,100 of them, to bring their very best self to work, whether it's professional development, coaching around leadership, or coaching around the soft skills about how to care for patients and families that come into our walls, uh, into our doors of the hospital. Okay, so you're really focused on supporting your teams and supporting the the workforce and the infrastructure. And I know you just received um, the Best Places to Work Award, and also you're a family-friendly business. Uh, meaning you have certain family-friendly policies in place. Do you want to speak to that? Like, which ones are you most proud of? I think, for me, it is the whole package of what we're creating. So when I talk about creating this workplace environment that allows people to do their very best work, it's fundamental because that is a leading indicator. Our, our success in that space is a leading indicator for what patients will experience when they get care here. I do believe that if you create that environment that allows people to do their best work, set clear objectives, recognize and celebrate achievement, you create joy in the workplace. And when you create joy in the workplace, they treat family better and patients better. They're nicer to their colleagues They go home and they're nicer to their family and it gives them that energy that they want to get up the next morning and start all over again. And to get this wonderful acknowledgement for best places to work, um, that came from our associates. They had to do the survey. They had to fill it out and express their opinion about what it meant to work here. But we survey our associates annually. And when they filled out that second survey from another organization a month later, and it validated what we'd been hearing. It was very, um, it was very much a proud moment for what we've been creating. Um, our family-friendly fam- practices include giving opportunities for leave, retirement, um, but in the workplace environments, ability to contribute to the improvement in the workplace. We have our leaders round and visit with our associates either monthly or bi-monthly for just their full 15, 30 minutes of a meeting just to talk about how is it going, how are you doing, do you have the tools and resources you need to do your job, are there colleagues you want to celebrate, do you have safety issues or concerns that you want to talk with us about. So it's not just dedicated time to get the feedback, but then it's taking that feedback and putting into action. And when our associates said on the survey that this was the best place to work, that was one of the fundamental reasons, because they get to contribute to the improvement and not only in the delivery of quality care, but in the quality of the experience. And we know from our research and from speaking with business leaders in in the state and, and elsewhere that when we um, support employees to, uh, to, ha- to be able to balance their work and their life and through different family-friendly policies that you talked about, we know that employers then are able to um, retain and recruit highly qualified employees. So that must be part of your consideration as well. Absolutely, it's a, it's a resulting benefit of doing the right thing. So for our organization, our um, turnover rate is about 10% just in general. When you look at healthcare turnover rates across the country, they're between 15% and 17% per year. So we are doing better than most um, health systems in the country. But in terms of Krista's health, 
we're doing the second best in, in, of the 40-plus hospitals in terms of retention because all those things, you can recruit people. You certainly can. You can put um, a competitive package together. You can put a bonus together to bring people on board. But if you're going to retain them, you need to create a whole environment that allows them to feel supported, and not just by the organization, but by the very colleagues they get to work with every day. So one example that of an initiative we have in place, and it's um, worked quite well for us, is a peer interviewing process. So we started it about three years ago and we required it at about a couple of years ago. And what that means is our highest performers in the organization, they get to select the candidate that they're gonna welcome to the team when there's a vacancy. So candidates are interviewed by their future colleagues and those colleagues decide whether or not they fit the team. They wanna make sure that they're bringing on board folks that are in alignment with our core values that bring that same strong work ethic, that bring a desire to focus on improvement, and are fun. And so by creating the opportunity for folks to pick their future colleagues, it's improved our retention rate. Uh, I think it's led to results in many other areas, including our focus on uh, reducing harm, or focusing on zero harm, our efforts to improve the overall patient experience. I mean, as you know, when, when folks come to the hospital or a clinic, they're coming at their most vulnerable time when they need to be healed they're expecting that we're going to heal them that's what we do but when you're nice to them that's always that really that really wonderful thing that makes the care experience even better and our folks want to hire people that think like them and work like them and will put make it personal Mm -hmm. that way okay and as as far as um your employees do you uh, do you have a specific strategy to um, recruit from New Mexico and sort of grow the talent from within and really keep um, keep those folks here in New Mexico? So we have internal and an external um, strategy. Internally, we create a pipeline of opportunity for our folks that come into the team. I, I tell um, our, when I'm at new employee orientation every two weeks, I remind uh, the group that they're joining a team of 2,100 other people, that we have more employees in this organization than city of Santa Fe government has, which means that they have opportunities to start one place and end up somewhere else over time, and that we are going to give them those opportunities, sort of imagine what does next look like, and provide scholarships, mentoring, coaching, or certification opportunities that allow them to be curious and foster that because we want to keep them around longer, right? Um, Externally, we have relationships with the area community colleges as well as UNM so that we have a a steady pipeline of future nurses and technicians and uh, respiratory therapists and a whole slew of other um, professions, but it's it's allowing those campuses to have their students come and get training here, uh, to have tours, um, even our, uh, we have a health explorations program in the summer where high school students can come and spend six weeks intensively just learning what it means to be in healthcare and sort of um, seed the curiosity so that they'll graduate from high school and, and, and pursue a healthcare certification degree. Growing your own is probably one of the very best things you can do to ensure some level of retention because they, folks want to stay close to their families. They want to stay close to mom and dad, or they want to be able to make sure that they can raise their children here and have a, a long, you know, a long life in Santa Fe and northern New Mexico. Mm. 
Okay, and um, Lillian, what is the biggest challenge in taking over um, as president and CEO of Christus St. Vincent? Maintaining our discipline on improvement and not taking our, our, our eye off the ball. And as a leader, it means for me to remain very engaged, not just in um, being in that moment and in the conversations as I talk to individuals and groups within the organization, but being very present as I round and um, just take the time to get to know and understand people's stories, concerns. And it's I, I make it the, my number one issue because we've, we've gotten this far in our improvement journey because of that engagement and our folks know and feel like this is just a much larger family and we're accountable to each other. And for me, it means having that responsibility to be accountable to my team of 2,100 people by being visible and, and um, able to answer their questions and provide guidance and direction. And what is the improvement uh that you're talking about is that improvement I'm, I'm assuming in all areas but improvement in health outcomes in in a number of areas so if i, I start with um zero harm culture that has been our that's been our number one focus in creating an a, uh, ensuring an environment where patients feel safe when they come to the hospital so we track the data on infection rates and falls and a whole slew of of areas that allow us to understand how well are we doing in keeping people safe. And we are in the 90th percentile compared to hospitals around the country in our safety factor. So we've, and it wasn't the case five years ago. Uh, When I talk about associate engagement, five years ago, what I would characterize as that happiness factor uh, that from that annual survey, it was in the 19th percentile. And now we're exceeding the 54th percentile, which means that we're doing better than 54% of the hospitals in this country in engaging our employees in the way of work. We also survey our physicians, our providers, our advanced practice clinicians, and ask them many of the very same questions. What kind of environment are we creating here that allows you to um, provide care? and retain you. And that satisfaction has gone from the 22nd percentile last year to well in excess of the 55th. So we're, we're keeping an eye on all of those things that tell us that the improvements are well underway. And I want to not only sustain the gains, but to further improve. And our patient satisfaction um, has only improved in these last five years, but it's because we focused on our people, we're focusing on our providers, and we're focusing on the zero harm. Okay, so patient satisfaction. I mean, a lot of the things you just talked about are things that clearly as a hospital administrator, you need to be tracking those things. But as a patient, as someone, you know, listening in the audience, a woman who may be listening to this show thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? Um, you know, do no harm. Like, well, of course, I don't expect to be harmed when I go to the hospital. What, what can we tell her? Like, what can she expect to understand about her patient care here? So patients are, for the most part, thinking three things when they have to have a healthcare experience. A, heal me. B, don't hurt me. C, be nice to me. And so heal me, that's that expectation, what our doctors and our nurses are going to do. They're going to fix what's broken. That are, there's, they're going to provide a, a care experience that heals you. Um, 
that's getting into and through the emergency department quickly. Understanding what happened and how you can care for yourself. It's knowing that when you get home from the emergency department or you're discharged from the hospital, that one a nurse from our care coordination team is going to call you and check on you. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Do you understand your medication instructions? Do you have a follow-up appointment? If you don't, can we help you make one? It's helping families navigate the whole healthcare system much easier than they can do on their own. So it's sort of being part of their team, their care team, if you will. Okay, and Lillian, we're going to go into the segment called Superpowers for Success. And I I ask these questions of all my women leaders on the show uh, because I think it really helps um, you articulate sort of your expertise and your experience, and it, and it really um, also supports women who are listening to understand what it takes to be a leader at the level that you've achieved. So the first question I want to ask you is, um, what does success in life mean for you? It's a personal satisfaction, I think. When I think about every time I've made a job transition, the reasons for which I was making the transition and it's sort of reflecting back on the decision-making process, it was always to look at opportunities, professional opportunities through for three things. The first was to be able to do interesting work, like really interesting, meaty work. The second was to be able to move the dial, to be able to do something with that and leave your own legacy in that moment, just for that personal gratification of knowing you had something to do with it. But the third was to be sure that whatever I was doing and with whomever I was doing it with, that it had to be fun. So those three things, three things all the time. And for me, success is knowing that on most days, I get that. I really, truly get that. And when I reflect on um, the past job experience going into the next one is really more about what did I learn about myself from that last job experience that I want to do differently or better in the next phase and um, and really assess and I mean, really being uh, fiercely honest with oneself about what are you really good at and what do you really like. And for me, success is, is um, being open to that vulnerability and asking yourself those questions because uh, sometimes even your closest girlfriends won't. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that leads me nicely into the next question, which is when did you know you were really good at what you do? Ooh, that's a hard question. I, I think in the moment I know I'm really good at that one thing I'm doing in that moment when I can see the light bulb go off above someone's head. Mm. I see it. I can see that sparkle. I can see the blink. And I know that they had their moment, that aha of, oh, I got this. This is mine to own and drive. And you're here to help me figure it out. That's, mm. that's my moment. I can see it in a group. And I can see it one-on-one when it happens. So you're describing some of the traits of a good leader, which is another question I was going to ask you. So what makes a good leader, do you think? Oh, that's many things. I I think it's being a a listener. I think it's being curious. It's seeking first to understand. Most definitely, it's, it's about authenticity and personal engagement in each relationship. It's honoring um, where people are in their moment meet them where they're at and recognizing when when organizations or people are not at their readiness place for something that's next 
It's about recognizing in a particular moment in time the possibility, either in a person or an organization, and being ready to engage and drive and help them own and own the outcome. It's um, it's honoring your commitments. It's it is a lot about honor. It's about honor and respect. Okay, and um, when you um, when you've had a really big leadership challenge to where you've thought, I just, what am I doing? Like, this is terrible. How am I ever going to overcome this? And we've all been there. What was that like? And what did you do to overcome it? I've gotten better at that. I think in my early years, um, I didn't have a lot of patience for um, drama. Um, I think over time, you figure out how you, how you can navigate it better. I have learned to, to process it and to put a word to it, to describe it to myself and to, and to not make a quick decision um, and remind myself that when I'm, is particularly when you're dealing with people on a tough issue, is to be tough on the issue but not on the people and to step back and remember that people are bringing their best intention but they just need help to unpack and, and then repack it. And so it, it sometimes I've really had to be become, uh, have really have to become quite patient around just wait 24 hours before I tackle it. But I remember in, in my early days of, of, of dealing with um, conflict and you just get in that moment and you just want to blow and you can't do that as you, as you become more uh, responsible for more people and bigger organizations and it doesn't even matter if it's big or small just the more complex it gets is to just be patient really look at all of the variables and i'm not excellent at it yet i'm still learning but i've learned to not um act to react or act too quickly Mm. so that's great advice and tips um and that requires a level of practice that so that you can call on that skill of patience and and reflection and and not overreact right away. So that takes, I think, experience and wisdom and, and practice, right? It does. And it's funny because I've had a few of these little things to deal with in the last couple of days. And someone said to me this morning, aren't you angry? And I said, you know, inside I'm a roaring volcano. I'm pretty angry, but... You know, I'm processing it. At the end of the day, you're working with human beings. And you just have to step back. And there's some moments in here you just want to laugh about. and You can't even believe you're seeing it or hearing it. And that helps me sort of manage the volcano, <laughs> if you will. But cause we're all human beings. I mean, have, you know, having been a mom, I've had my volcanic moments when my kids were young. And you learned what worked well with your kids. And you learn that in the workplace, what works well with your colleagues and and others, but it does take patience. Yeah, and I think that um, part of that patience and you know being able to, to to draw on that in the moment when you need it has a lot to do with your own personal well-being. So, can you share a personal habit that you have that contributes to your own well-being? I love to read. I love to read a lot. I'm probably reading three books at a time at any one time. I I make time to just have quiet because sometimes the days are just so 
filled with stuff and I love it. I, I, my energy is fueled by having conversations and being around people. But I do get to a point where I just want to turn it off and I won't even answer the phone call from my dad and he knows I'm home. <laughs> so it is just knowing when it's okay to just turn it off and giving your perso- yourself that permission to do that and just be in your own space. Um, it's probably my favorite is just when, it, when it's quiet. Mm, yeah, I talk about that a lot in the well woman life cycle. We have four stages of, of the well woman life cycle. And one of them is where you just kind of go quiet. <laughs> you just stop. Yeah, just be. And you don't have to push, push, push. And you don't have to be forcing things and making stuff happen. You can just be. So Lillian, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? Hmm. Well, that's a very good question. I think that, you know, very often, most of my life, I think, and I think many women would understand this, we always think we need to be an expert at everything to be able to be good at something. And it took me a while to understand, sometimes you just need to know a little bit about a lot of things, and you only need to go deep when you're in that moment of needing to go deep. And giving yourself permission to not be the expert. And the superpower is that, recognizing that you don't have to know everything, but you can surround yourself with people that can help fill in the gaps, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And being open to that. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a very hard thing to do. Ooh, I love that. That's that might be an original. A lot of times I hear the same kinds of things when I ask that question. So that's that's a cool one. Um, what advice would you give your twenty-five-year-old self? I, I when I so that's a good question because I was twenty-four when I became a mom, and so what I learned the second I became a mom is how you prioritize what's most important. Where you spend your time is what is therefore most important. And secondly, my edges became softer. I realized that I didn't have to force my way into things or to do things or with relationships or people and instead needed to navigate kindly. So my advice, I would have given it to myself at 21 um, because I had to wait until I had my first kid to realize what that meant Mm. but sometimes it wouldn't matter if we heard that advice because we have to just live it don't we that's true that's true sometimes it just comes from uh, experience Mm. lessons Lillian do you identify as a feminist you know I identify first as a woman and a mom and a Hispanic woman and that's an interesting question because I've only been recently recently asked that I think I've been so focused on on doing good work with interesting people that I don't hadn't often noticed how few women might have been in the room or how many people of color have been in the room only now that people are drawing it to my attention oh interesting so maybe that will inform your leadership now absolutely I think what I my biggest takeaway from the, the announcement when I was uh, announced uh, it was announced that I was going to be in this role was the overwhelming support and encouragement that came from so many places in my life from over the years, but even the uh, community. 
and has left me with a profound sense of res- even greater responsibility for what I'm creating here and what it means for other, the possibility of other women in leadership. The just it is I do feel that weight of responsibility as well as feeling incredibly blessed at the same time and yet my whole career has been around mentoring other young women it's just what I do it's about mentoring people to sort of see their own future to to be open to what other kinds of things they may want to do and try so I just naturally of course you do that that's how I was raised you know you put more chairs at the table and you invite more people to participate so I never considered anything but of course, that's the right thing to do. Um, but I do feel that profound sense of responsibility, not only awareness of it, but uh, engaging more fully in that responsibility. Okay, Lillian, last question. And you're a big reader because we talked about that already. What are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Everybody Matters. That's the book I'm reading right now. And it's funny because I started reading this book and I'm reading through it and I'm like hey I say that and I'm like I wasn't the first to say that it's clearly in the book but I love that because it reminds you that everyone has a talent that they can contribute everyone has um, something to contribute they want to know what their own meaningfulness is in in this world we all we don't often get do-overs in life but as a leader, we have a responsibility in engaging with human beings is find what their contribution can be and ensure you're creating that meaningful moment because it changes um, departments, it changes organizations, it changes communities. And this book for me is just reinforcing what I've been thinking. And someone else just had the forethought to put it in writing first. Lillian, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. I'm glad you do this show. I think we need to have more of this in the world. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wellwomanlife. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.